Yeah. Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We use science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you. And you too. Happy birthday, Todd. Thank you. Happy early birthday to you. I was going to bring you a, a, a little something today, but then I called off our in-person <laughs> recording because I thought my car was going to explode yesterday. So I didn't yeah. want to drive all the way up to you. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I, I, your gift is in the mail. So, uh, oh, but you're, was... you already got me a gift and it is a, it is a ketchup packet squeezer. <laughs> what like, I, I'm so bold of to think I might get ever, ever get more than that. That's amazing. Ah, uh, yes. Right, right love, here. I love the ketchup. It's a tiny keychain. I don't think, I don't know if we talked about this I on the air. So. It's a tiny keychain, uh, maybe about three inches long, shaped like a Heinz ketchup bottle. And there's a little slit in it. And... <laughs> I told you this might be finally the most ludicrous thing I own <laughs> outside of the uh, the um, uh, frozen assets throw yeah. blanket yeah. that Brian, Brian got you. this this uh, three inch Heinz ketchup bottle with a slit in it. And what you do is you take a little ketchup packet, like a little ones you would get at 7-Eleven or wherever. Um, and it has a little slot to make a slit in it. And then so there's another cutter. slot. Yeah. So it's got a cutter put... to open it. And then the slot. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And once you put the, uh, there's another slot. When you put it on that, you turn the ketchup bottle uh, cap and it pulls through your ketchup thing to get every single last drop out of the ketchup packet, like a toothpaste squeezer for ketchup. It's it's incredibly efficient. Uh, the most complex thorough uh <laughs> tool for the least oh, oh. complex item uh ever. almost wildly unusable <laughs> some would say <laughs> or unnecessary right, right, there we go. <laughs> uh, uh and so um did you i i know you heard that helvetica and times new roman walked into a bar uh <laughs> The bartender said, we don't serve your type. <laughs> Get out. Uh, it should have been Comic Sans. <laughs> <laughs> Comic Sans and, and uh, um, that other terrible one, that um, Papyrus. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Papyrus, as I like to say. Papyrus. Yes. Well, moments, tragedy struck moments before we started recording. Oh, no. And... I went I went to spin my beautiful sun catcher, which is about the size of maybe a racquetball uh, that came uh, as part of this 1970s accent lamp that Brian and Sarah got me a couple of years ago. So I hung it up in my window and I gave it a spin today and it was too much for my fishing line and it came crashing Snapped. to the ground. So now I'm holding it in front of me. It's just so magical. It's like one of the stupidest delights in my life is this sun catcher because every time it just takes my breath away. We we magical. Got, yeah, we've got one that is in a window that only gets window gets 
sunlight for like a half an hour in the morning and it's just like the magic hour in yeah. our house because it just projects all the rainbows around the room it's, it's awesome. like that one memorial in like Arizona or whatever that like it, only <laughs> on Memorial Day does it all line up and it shines light on the seal. <laughs> That's exactly what it's right. Ah, well, I, I kind of flagged this video just because it was funny and we don't have to watch it or anything, but it was about I'm obsessed with the voiceover lady that is the standard TikTok voiceover lady. Oh, yeah. And if you've ever seen any TikTok uh videos you've heard that voice um and it turns out it's based on this real voiceover lady and she's like suing tiktok or whatever i'm uh, sure the story's a little old but i think that i think that they shifted tiktok lady voices because of that lawsuit so i think the n- new one might not be her oh interesting it's the knockoff of it's, yeah it's, so it was her until like six months ago and then okay. they they like because you type in the text and it reads it they were able to retroactively go through all the videos and 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 so now if you watch any video it's the new one who isn't a violation of terms (laughs) basically uh but yeah i was kind of accept because last the last show we did we had that uh tiktok your your yeah i'll call him your friend the tiktok star what whose name i've already forgotten Guile. Yep. Um, and so I was like, oh, I, I should make an, an intro that says, welcome to the market talk or whatever with the TikTok voice. And so I, of course, I went to Google and, and tried to find a TikTok voice generator, which I could not find because Can't I do. guess that would just be TikTok. Right. And so <laughs> sadly, we have no TikTok voiceover lady saying, I barely knew her as of yet. I so. barely knew her. <laughs> yeah there we go (laughs) well before we get into some news here i had a couple random things first of all speaking of birthday and yours is coming up you um before before i want to uh have you talk about the little trip you took yeah to see if you found anything interesting so uh if you if anyone's on facebook they'll know that on your birthday uh if you have it in your profile whatever it comes up so everybody wishes you a happy birthday and it's kind of nice to see all the people come out of the woodwork and and say happy birthday and i get this one from um from this guy named oliver that just says hbd and i was like never in my life did i think one of the backup dancers from the blonde ambition madonna's blonde ambition tour would message me hbd on my birthday that's incredible so thank you mr oliver crooms the sole non-gay dancer from the blonde ambition tour (laughs) uh you have made this little boy's dream come true that's awesome um, so yeah you took a little trip down south uh for a little bit did anything interesting happen there yeah so um every winter we try to get some sun down in southern california area and uh palm springs is too expensive but next door to palm springs is desert hot springs and it's much cheaper (laughs) and uh and so we went down to desert hot springs and then we did some exploration around the area uh we went to joshua tree national park and spent the day there and we uh 
uh, went on a driving tour of famous homes in Palm Springs or homes of famous people in Palm Springs. So, you know, is Bob Hope's uh, house still there? Is it, is it, is it called Bob Hope's house still, or does somebody new live there? And we call it that we call it that. And then there's one up. So he had like his regular bungalow house. And then there's one ridiculously amazing mansion up on the hill that uh, a billionaire purchased about two years ago that uh-huh. uh, it, it, it's phenomenal and you can see it anywhere you drive because it's kind of yeah that's the only thing the- i went to palm springs i think once maybe oddly enough only growing up and i remember the bob hope house because you can see it from everywhere or whatever and then i remember the comic book store that i had to hunt down <laughs> to, to go because like i'm sure a new batman was coming out and i could not miss the release date we were most impressed by the fortress of Cary Grant's estate uh, right oh. in the middle of downtown area is like two acres that is an impenetrable fortress with the big letters CG on the <laughs> fence and uh, you can't see anything from the outside but uh, we've since gone on YouTube and there's a great really big tour of, of it and it's it's like two long city blocks uh that was his estate and it's just palatial and amazing and and so his family must still live there if they're still calling it the Cary grant estate it has the Eh. things on it well uh if if i were rich and i bought the Cary grant estate i would definitely leave the cg on there i don't know that's true that's true we'll we'll find out uh after i'm rich uh, what I choose <laughs> well, here's to do. a good way, a, a good way to get rich from what I hear is the burgeoning market of NFTs. Ah, yes. <laughs> so we have talked uh, a, a couple of times very briefly about NFTs and stuff like that. There is a really good uh, video on YouTube from a channel called Folding Ideas that is about NFTs. It's about two hours long and it is it is a lot and it's just uh, the video itself is mostly a guy just sitting at a table and talking very quickly for two hours about all of this and it's very detailed it's very specific and and the first half the first half of it almost maybe the first 40 minutes is um all about cryptocurrency just uh, what that is because that builds into the nft thing so a really fascinating deep dive that i I might suggest it as a podcast since there isn't a whole lot of visual components, but it is just a relentless, it's more of a book on tape thing because it is just a relentless, like nonstop pace of like super deep information of how things work. What we might do is uh, in the future, we'll, we'll have Brett, my business partner on as a guest. And uh, we do uh, a lot of NFT work in our, in our business and he is the NFT expert. And, that would be good. Uh, and so literally on Friday, uh, Brian uh, Brian was texting me questions. And I'm like, I don't know. And so I was asking Brett. And Brett was correcting me and, and all my assumptions that were totally wrong uh, about like IPFS and, and uh, you know, the interplanetary file system that now exists and and things like that. it's it's really complex it is uh it's a deep dive and that world is it's held up by cards basically it's it's really there's because there's no 
tie to a currency or specific thing. Like it's just whatever people think yeah. something is worth, which is maddening. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And so yeah. it's, have we talked about um, um, Andy Warhol's thing, uh, his art, the art project around Andy Warhol and the 10,000 pieces of art? I don't think so. Okay, so um, it, this isn't related to NFTs specifically, but it talks about basically the um, the weird nature that art has taken uh, in our world. So uh, there is a pen and ink sketch that Andy Warhol made, and they have trained a computer to make the exact same pen and ink picture uh, and, and make it. Putting the two, the original and the, the computer-generated one, side by side, they both use the same ink on the same paper. They both make the same strokes at the same pressure. And they are, for all intents and purposes, exactly the same. Uh, they are identical. So what they've done is... They are making, and I think the number is a thousand. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but they're making a thousand copies of this piece of art. And then they are providing every single human that wants to buy one, either the original or one of the facsimiles that is indistinguishable from the original you don't know if you receive the original or a facsimile. You might have an original piece of Andy Warhol art, or you have the facsimile, which is physically identical. Does anyone know? Like, no do the one people knows. who send it out? So, no one knows. No one knows. Wow, that is that's yeah, that's like Banksy levels. It's of... Totally, and and so it's available for an affordable price, you know, compared to an original Andy Warhol. Uh, yeah. And so it's like $2,000 or something like that to, to get one of these. And you may just have a piece of paper that was printed by a computer. Statistically, you most likely have that, but you also might have an original Andy Warhol. And then it comes down to like, well, what makes an original Andy Warhol the original? Is it, like, what is yeah. it? What, what is, is art? art? <laughs> and so it I can really challenges Andy, a lot I can of assumptions. Andy Warhol, Andy Warhol using that thing Thomas Jefferson invented with like the two <laughs> pens hooked up to each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So. It's it's a fascinating conversation. So that yeah, folding ideas is the channel on uh, YouTube, and it's uh, his most recent video. Um, but I, I also this is the the super old man uh, portion of the show because in the in the show notes I have a JPEG of a picture of a magazine article <laughs> that somebody clipped out. <laughs> but it's something that I've heard before, and mm -hmm. I I wanted to 
get kind of the details right because it's another fascinating thing about language. So uh, this this old fashioned meme from a, from a Reader's Digest in 1972 or whoever this came from, it says, "Have you ever wondered why we say TikTok and not talk tick or ding dong and not dong ding, uh, King Kong, etc." It turns out it's one of the unwritten rules of English that we do without even knowing. The rule is, quote, if there are three words, then the order has to go I, A, O. If there are the if there are two words, then the first is I and the second is either A or O. So mishmash or chit chat or dilly dally, uh, shilly shally, which is something I've never heard before. Uh, tip top, hip hop, flip flop, etc. Wigwam, even Native Americans did it because I'm sure their word for it was wigwam. Um, and this kind of leads into the, the second little thing. And, and this is the one that I, I wanted to get right because it's so fascinating. So adjectives in English absolutely have to be in this order. Opinion, size, age, shape, color, origin, material, purpose, noun which sounds like an impossible thing that clearly no one has ever heard of. And it's like one of the rules, but it's crazy because we all instinctually yep. do it. So you have a lovely little old rectangular green French silver whittling knife. But if you say those out of order, like a silver, lovely rectangular little French green, like it just it doesn't gets jumbled your mind doesn't know how to process it's not it. right yeah. yeah so that's why it's like little green men and not green little men blah 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 so so fascinating to me because that is a complex thing of opinion size age shape color origin material purpose and noun so just it's so weird to me to think that like the language center of our brain isn't just doesn't do just like one thing language it's like the reading center is different and the speaking center is different and the it's it's for a stupid lump of bacon fat <laughs> that's just like hanging out our brains are so fascinating so. i have to say that um right now it's it's about three o'clock in the afternoon and you have the most golden hour light going on <laughs> i do that's why so because I'm, I'm sitting back at my desk which i haven't done in in a while and it's right uh, by a window that faces south and right now since it's so it's in the middle of winter the sun is just like beaming into my face giving me a very dramatic like meet the beatles-esque cover yeah. Yeah, thing. Totally. but that's why it's so bummed that my sun catcher broke because it's perfect in the way i'll hold it up next to my face there you so go you shine it around <laughs> it the world burns a hole in your cheek <laughs> All right, let's get into some cool. news. I have a lot of it, so I might edit some of it out. But this is from our dear friend, Heidi, who is uh, over in Montana. And she sent me this thing that says, Montana State University invites the public to submit messages to send to the moon. So when an innovative computer developed at Montana State University heads to the moon next year for testing, it's inviting the public to submit text of roughly 50 words accompanied by an optional image to be stored in the memory of the Rubik's Cube sized computer. Uh, they suggest that the message inspires future generations and highlight the positive aspects of planet Earth or pay tribute to someone. So if you are interested in doing this, you can go to montana.edu 
edu slash moon. Uh, and then you can also find more information about the Space Research Scholarship Fund, blah, blah, blah. But a nice little thing to think about and a fun activity to do maybe with someone if you have kids or something like that, send a message to the moon and it we might be definitely do that accepted. So um, this next story, I was kind of bummed because I saw the clickbait uh headline and i wanted it to keep it until i blind read it on the show but when i was copying and pasting the url like just told me what it was and i was like dang nabbit but a florida man and his grandson went magnet fishing and now police are investigating what reeled in so one of the photos of this was the exact same magnet uh, that you got <laughs> me for magnet fishing on that long red rope so Dwayne smith and his 11 year old grandson alan were out on a magnet fishing trip uh in their homestead in homestead a suburb of miami florida when within five minutes, they reeled in two sniper rifle receivers and bolt carrier groups wrapped in shrink wrap. Oh my goodness. So he Oops. said, with magnet fishing, every time I cast out or every other time I'm coming up with something, this lucky man says, because I came up with nothing. He's like, at least there's a bottle cap or, you know, a $7,000 sniper rifle. <laughs> So the weapons were covered in debris and they cleaned them off for about 30 minutes to an hour to find that the serial numbers were also ground off. They turned the weapons over to the police, uh, which are investigating a forensics lab. So hmm. one of these days, that'll be you and me, Mark. We won't have to read someone else's story. Wow, that sun on my face is... It's amazing. Yeah, let's take a picture for a thumbnail. One moment, please. <laughs> Oh, okay. Moving on. A church in Oregon sues the city over restricting homeless meal services. This is from Brookings, which is a small city among the south southern Oregon coast, passed an ordinance barring churches in residential areas for serving more than two free meals a week to people experiencing homelessness. Reverend Bernie Lindley of St. Thomas's Episcopal Church said the church has been serving the community for decades and picking up the slack where the need exists. Um, we have no intention of stopping, says badass Reverend Bernie Lindley, and we be prepared to hold fast to our beliefs. The ordinance against serving more than two free meals a week came in response to a petition from people living near the church who said the church's programs were, were creating public safety problems. The petition, which refers to the people around St. Timothy Episcopal Church as, quote, vagrants and undesirables, was signed by 30 people. Um, we don't believe the city council has the right to tell us to stop taking care of people in need, said Reverend Bernie. Oh, no, some some other guy whose name I cut out, whose last name is Akiyama, who also sounds great because he wants to help people in need. I love it. So it's wow. interesting intersection of when people try to help people and when the state tries to help people and it's just like constant stumbling box instead of solving the problem oh look i'm white i'm with white hot intensity now good <laughs> it's, grief it's, yeah you're, you're <laughs> stepping it up i am oh let me get my my sun catcher you can't see any of the, oh there we go now there it's go. shined on my face for all to enjoy and by all i mean you <laughs> Well, more uh, in a in a 
in a segment we'll call follow up, which no other podcast I listen to, especially not nerd has its own segment of um, di- more about that Havana syndrome that we've been mm. following closely on the Mark and Todd cast. A panel convened by the U.S. intelligence community has assessed that the core symptoms of some unsolved, quote, Havana syndrome cases, which we've been talking about, cannot be explained by mass hysteria or psychosomatic efforts alone and could be caused by pulsed electromagnetic electromagnetic or ultrasonic energy. According to the summary, pulsed electronic, geez Louise, pulse electromagnetic energy, particularly in the radio frequency range, plausibly explains explains the core characteristics. Ultrasonic waves are another plausible explanation, but only in close access scenarios and with information gaps whatever that means. Uh, Such energy can be generated through a portable device with a tight beam focused on an individual, continued. Uh, They did independent independent testing in which researchers were exposed to high-power ultrasound beams and subsequently experienced some of those core characteristics. Uh, Those characteristics are vertigo, intense ringing and pressure in the ears, a loss of balance or directionality. Um, the group also considered a mechanism as a, as feasible if it was technically possible to use. Uh, co- what word is that? Are you seeing that? Co- co-seali- oh, concealable. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't see the n in that for at first. So there. So anything was a feasible mechanism if it was possible to use. Concealable could produce the suf- suffered effect, and if other evidence didn't directly rule it out. So all of this is more than a theory, and they've tested a device that combined biological efforts and clinical at, uh, efforts to gather firsthand accounts of what it was like to be in the beam of an ultrasound device, and their accounts were consistent with those outlined by the victim. Um, last month, the CIA released an interim finding that pushed back on the notion that a U.S. adversary is deliberately targeting us, but the agency did not rule out that a foreign government or weapon is responsible for a smaller number of unsolved cases. So really interesting, and interesting that they could that, that they could rule out um, psychosomatic or mass hysteria. Mm. So I'm not quite sure how they do that, but that's kind of good that they're we're learning how to investigate instead of just like gaslighting everyone into thinking that we're all crazy. <laughs> so uh, do you want to talk about this yeah. national butterfly yeah. center? Speaking of crazy, a South Texas, <laughs> South Texas butterfly center that has fought efforts to build barriers among the U S Mexico border will close to the public for the immediate future due to unspecified threats, according to an announcement to the, by the nonprofit organization, so um, in the wake of recent events uh, targeting the center, they are closing indefinitely. So the safety of our staff and visitors is our primary concern, said the president and founder of the National American Butterfly <laughs> Association. My and, favorite association, we, NABA. <clears throat> in a statement, <laughs> we look forward to reopening soon when the authorities and professionals who are helping us navigate the situation give us a green light. And so... Um, Oh, here we go. The center, which was closed over the weekend due to nearby border security rally, has faced harassment in recent years after waging legal challenges against the Trump administration and the We Build a Wall organization regarding the use of the center's land to build a wall between Mexico and the U.S. So they were receiving death threats and and other uh, threats from extreme right wing groups. Uh, saying that they were a uh, trafficking center for 
for underage children and oh is that what they did yeah and and so they uh, butterfly gate goes with pizza gate now exactly when do you think we're going to stop using gate as the suffix for all these things it's fascinating that it stuck around for so long it really is and now it's become a mechanism in the american language like yeah i I think it's there i think think it i think it might be there just it is easy to add to things so i think that helps i always wondered what the effect on the actual watergate hotel this has all had like has it made them more popular or less popular i I definitely want to stay at the watergate hotel just totally get a matchbook with a watergate hotel on it exactly uh, well, sad news. Uh, oh, no. Former Portland Mayor Bud Clark has died at the age of 90. The cause of his death was congestive heart failure. He served as mayor from 1985 to 1992. He ran for mayor when no one else would challenge then Mayor Frank Ivensee. Uh, he won 54% of the vote. At the time, he was the barkeep at the Goose Hollow End. He helped expand mass transit, including the Max Line, supported the development of downtown and the building of the Oregon Convention Center. He served a, a served during a difficult time in the state. There was a recession and interest rates were high. He said during an interview that no one was building homes, which further hurt the state's economy as it depended heavily on the timber industry at the time. I wanted to put Portland back on the map, and I think we succeeded in doing that, he said. He was uh, also known for his Expose Yourself to Art poster, which even as a kid I saw, having no idea what that was, (laughs) but it featured him uh, opening his overcoat to one of the bronze nude statues in downtown Portland, which is kind of an abstract uh, nude uh, statue, which is just so great it it is really great so um we we got to hang out with him uh a few times oh uh, that's right and And i never did we we've got a signed poster uh of the expose yourself to art which which is great wow he was part of weird portland united and he came to the gala and all those things um he, oh, I was there for that. I saw yeah. him at the gala. Yeah, you saw him at, at the, the gala, gala. Yeah, but I didn't meet him in person. He um, was so in debt coming into the election. So after he was elected, he had spent every penny that he had and had accrued some debt doing so. And so he would go to Saturday Market every weekend and sell those posters signed at $10 a piece to, to make money for himself. So the mayor was down at Saturday Market every Saturday and Sunday selling posters of Expose Yourself to Art to recoup costs from, from his campaign to become mayor. That's, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. I'm going to take another photo of myself. Look how great the lighting that's is now. Super, super great. I'm using that as my headshot from now on. <laughs> All right, why don't you take this next one? Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine receives full FDA approval. The vaccine name Spikevax. Yeah, that's most of the reason I have any copy to this story is that it's not the COVID-19. It's the Spikevax. Spikevax is now approved for use in people ages 18 and older. It's not approved or authorized for use in younger individuals. There's no difference between the approved vaccine and the vaccine previously available through emergency (laughs) use authorization. Moderna's is the second COVID-19 vaccine to receive full approval from the FDA. Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. (laughs) Yes, say that three times fast. Comirnaty? 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 Comirnaty, yeah, C-O-M. 
I-R-N-A-T-Y. And the R next to the N makes it look like commimity. An M, yeah. Commimity. Commimity was approved for use in people ages 16 and older in August. The Pfizer vaccine is also authorized for use in individuals aged 5 to 15, and that age will be lowering pretty soon, I believe. So. Oh wow, yeah. So I don't, I don't know what marketing research led them to community and spike vax is cool, but you'd think you would just want to stay close to something that is COVID nineteen, right? It doesn't. <laughs> Although to, the word to walk in somewhere and be like, I want spike vax is spike pretty vax. cool. <laughs> Welcome to spike vax. Welcome to spike vax. Well, Mark, do you play Wordle, the word game sweeping I, the nation? I I don't. I haven't yet. We we do play the New York Times of of the New York Times uh, word crossword crossword. Uh, uh, we we can usually do Tuesdays. We can usually uh, almost all always finish Mondays. Yeah. Uh, Wednesdays are too hard for us. We're we're, we're simple. Yeah, people. I I can get halfway through Wednesdays, but I haven't <laughs> been there. I I really wish I didn't. Part of part of what I love about crossword puzzle is doing it with a blue ballpoint pen on newspaper print that yeah. that's part of what makes it so satisfying to me so i never get to do that anymore but um but wordle which i played a couple of times i haven't been playing every day but um they were it which was just a random independent game made by uh, a, a graduate of the university of oregon i believe uh has been bought by the new york times so they bought the rights to world from its creator, whose last name is whose name is Josh Wardle, which is <laughs> amazing. Amazing. The paper's article about wait, the accusation. What? Okay, well, whatever. He sold it to the New York Times for seven figures. So in a statement, he credited the word game uh, found in Times as one of his inspirations for Wordle, which is um, they have different different word games in, in newspapers. Um, I've long admired the New York Times in a, their approach to games and with respect that they treat their players, blah, blah, blah. So how random, because I believe that guy just did something, he built it to like amuse his girlfriend or something like that <laughs> is the story. And now I don't know if he just made it or if it just happened to pop off when it did, but what what a crazy thing to yeah, just all of a sudden the, sweep, the, the, sweep the nation. The one hit wonder of... Of, of gaming he's doing it right though he's he's in and out which i'm sure trying to host a website i don't know uh, if he hosted that himself but this, a website that suddenly goes viral where 50 million people a day are making hits on it um well this story i pulled that i i sent it to you guys a while ago and it was something that i found that i didn't think there would ever be a crossover but the Suddenly, apparently at, at Movie Madness, which is one of Portland's finest video stores, the movie Heavenly Creatures has become really popular. And that sparked a response from actress Melanie Linsky. And Melanie Linsky is someone I've had a low-grade crush on for like 20 years since I saw her in her debut movie called Heavenly Creatures, which is the movie that has become popular again. But she's in that and Kate Winslet is in that. And it's a film made oh, yeah. in New Zealand. And both of them are from New Zealand. And I've always had a crush on her. Most people will know Melanie Linsky because she was on uh, Two and a Half Men for a long time. I don't know. I didn't watch it, but it was a long time. She played like this neighbor that was kind of in love with Ch uh, Charlie Sheen's character or whatever. It's kind of a ditz. But 
So she ended up tweeting to, um, oh wait, so a tweet from a former Willamette Week staffer about the apparent popularity of the 1990, oh, Peter Jackson made that film, um, which, yeah, from New Zealand, who went on to do Lord of the Rings, but that was his first movie, has drawn a response from one of the film's stars. On January 24, Elise Heron, who was the Willamette Week staffer, tweeted, I tried to rent Heavenly Creatures at Movie Madness this weekend, but apparently it keeps getting scooped up as soon as it's returned. Is Portland as, as obsessed with Melanie Linsky as I am after watching Yellow Jackets? So that must be a new show that she stars in. Mm -hmm. A tweet from Movie Madness suggested two alternate Linsky starring uh, options, the movie uh, But I'm a Cheerleader or the horror anthology Double X. Then Melanie Linsky herself uh, weighed in. She said, I literally have been trying to recruit friends to move to Portland since we filmed. I don't feel at home in this world anymore there. I love it so, 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 so much. So I haven't seen, have you seen I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore? I, I don't think so, no. I keep seeing it on Netflix, uh, and it was filmed in Portland in 2016. We should, don't we have a podcast that reviews movies I've, made in I've Portland? I've heard of one. <laughs> so uh, Melanie Linsky and Elijah Wood is Oh, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I have seen that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, okay, so I have not watched that that's yet. That's on my uh, list because they go to the uh, grocery outlet that we go to in the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, look at that lighting. Look how great my skin it's, looks. It's perfect. <laughs> 10 years younger right now. I do. I look all of the age I currently am. <laughs> uh so yeah, well, I thought that was I thought that was fun that she tweeted out my my childhood crush, not really a child, but why don't you read uh this next great story? <laughs> perfect. <laughs> So scientists this use a computer to predict exactly when society will collapse <laughs> in the 21st century. Scientists during the 70s used a computer and observations on changing trends to predict exactly when society would collapse. The scientific observation was carried out by a group of scientists from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, more than five decades ago. According to their findings, the prediction made was that society would crumble near the midpoint of the 21st century in 2040. Yay! The, the group looked at data patterns from various factors, including the population, the use of natural resources, and energy consumption to make their prediction. The team's <laughs> academic study has been published by uh, Club of Rome and identified upcoming limits to growth that would cause the collapse. I wonder if they factored in you know political unrest and yeah no so uh, yeah, i mean this, this article first is from the british tabloid the sun <laughs> but um yeah any anytime paper. you're you're go, going back to 1970 i think there's probably a lot of factors and it's it'll be interesting to see as society continues to collapse as it is doing right now if we're going to follow the 80 year time cycle that we talked about on that one show which means when that one predicts that we'll be in the period of unrest until about 2030 yeah right 2020, 2030 yeah. which is crazy that is only eight years from now the year 2030 oh my gosh i know I know. Somebody, oh, I have a, I have a new YouTube channel that I love. It's called How to Cook That. How to Cook That, and it's by this uh, lady that lives in Australia, and it's very calming. And she'll like take a look at at Twitter hacks and like all those cooking, um, cooking videos. And she's a food scientist and and pastry chef, so she talks a lot about how cooking works and why 
when you watch them, you can predict why they won't work and stuff like that. But she often will do recipes from like a medieval cookbook and oh, some of those nice. old historic things. And one of hers was titled, you know, we look into this dessert from uh, a hundred year old cookbook. And so I'm watching it thinking it's going to be like the mid 1800s. And they're like this 1922 <laughs> cookbook. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was a hundred years ago. Yeah. The 1920s. There's Which is there's nuts. a TikTok channel of a guy who does recipes from uh, things from the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and you know it it's like during depression years especially they would make pie out of you know, saltines and right and, you know, and everything and and so he creates them all and most of them are absolute hits. Uh, there's maybe wow. 10% that totally flop and are terrible, but the others are like, eh, well, you know, brown sugar on a saltine baked with lemons is, is pretty awesome. You know, <laughs> there was one, uh, one recipe that she did and I don't know what year it was from, but it was the, it was basically a water pie, like the main ingredient, like you would chop up some stuff and then you would add water and throw a throw a pie cover over it and it was just a water-based pie was during the depression yeah there there was one that it made its own crust as well like oh wow uh, and so it was it was like a self-creating pie you know and so the you know by browning the outside that created the crust and the yeah, inside yeah. was you know yeah all that stuff is so interesting and it, and it looking back very few of the cookbooks if there even were cookbooks because that wasn't really a huge thing like they don't include measurements they won't like one of them was like and then get your fire roaring more or tamp down your fire and bake this pie <laughs> <Yeah>. for <clears throat> so trying to do any sort of baking must have just been so impossible because it's such a science to get all that stuff right oh yeah yeah. Anyway, do you know anything about the 19 year old that's like somehow following Elon Musk's plane or whatever that is, the flight tracking Twitter bot? Yeah. So there's 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 a Twitter feed called Elon's plane, and <laughs> and uh, FAA information about uh, there, there's an IFF system, the interrogation friend or foe system that. Uh, every plane that flies in the United States has to have a transponder that identifies what it is. And so it's all publicly available information. He does not dox uh, in, in the traditional way of like, okay. Elon Musk is at this location, go get him kind of <laughs> thing. It's Elon's plane, uh, which is publicly available information, is now here, which... 99% of the time Elon Musk is flying, you know, and so you can watch like how often he flies to Texas during the creation of, you know, Gigafactory Texas and, and he's, you know, always centered in Southern California and then flies up to, you know, whatever, uh, you know, That's Fremont, so great. Tom, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. But then Elon tweeted like, please stop. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> um, and it's the worst thing that you can do. <laughs> exactly, which then brought it to national attention, uh, and you know, and it's called the Barbara the Barbara Streisand it effect. Totally, that's it totally is, and and so um, he, and so he like he updated his page saying, I, "I'm I'm really not 
doing anything that isn't already there. I'm just yeah, pointing yeah. at the things that are already there. Yeah. I'm not digging up any, I'm not researching where you are. Like this is just a tracker yeah. of a plane that's publicly available. And yeah. so, yeah, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> stick it to the man any way you can. <laughs> totally. um, um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to zip through some of these other stories cause it's going along. Um, free so, N95 masks are arriving at pharmacies and grocery stores at some time in the near future, uh, two years too late. <laughs> oh, my COVID test should be coming through the mail. I have not we got ours yesterday. Yet. Oh, nice. I saw that they were shipped out. So yeah, both of those things could have used a couple of years ago, but at least we're <laughs> getting there. Uh, a little follow up on the pig human heart transplant. The secret weapon is cocaine. Nice. So counterintuitively, the drug cocaine was injected into the heart to prolong its longevity. Quote, we were when we were you when we were not using the solution, we were getting failures within 48 hours, the surgeons explained. But when we started using this and infusing the heart with this cocaine solution, the heart became well preserved and started beating very well. They don't know why the cocaine is effective to preserve hearts, but one thing is for certain without the drug, the heart would have likely been rejected by the recipient's body. Uh, it's like a transplant from human to human where you still have to use drugs, but you know you can control it, they told um the reporter, if we had not done that, the rejection happens within minutes and the organ is useless. So that must be specifically when you're doing interspecies transplants, which is a crazy sentence to say out loud. <laughs> um, billionaire Mark Cuban is launching online drug pharmacy to lower generic drug prices. So that is good. Look at look into that if you're interested. As I'm breezing through some of these stories, the Weird Al Yankovic story starring Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al is nice. going to be coming to Roku, which apparently has its own own content to arm. I did love this quote from Weird Al. He said, when my last movie UHF came out in 1989, I made a solemn vow to my fans that I would release a major motion picture every 33 years like clockwork. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely thrilled that Daniel Radcliffe will be portraying me in the film. I have no doubt whatsoever that this is the role future generations will remember him for. <laughs> Uh, um, and I'm going to say that I, we the the topic we have coming up is a little heavy, so I'm going to save this next story as our feel good ender. Awesome, good. Um, I, so I I'm going to take that story earlier. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take a quick pee break okay. and put a log on the fire, and we will come back in a second. Cool. All right, the fire is stoked. <laughs> awesome. It's very excited. It's stoked, man. <laughs> Uh, yes. So, um, I've been reading the 1619 project and, uh, it is a book, uh, uh, a project published by the New York times magazine and oh, the owner, the owners of Wordle, the, the owners of Wordle have produced, <laughs> uh, the 1619 project. And, and so the, the project aims to reframe this country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contribution of black Americans at the very center of our national narrative. So the 1619 Project is also pretty uh, controversial and has been uh, criticized both politically and uh, by uh, some historians of um, maybe it goes too far or, or not far enough. And then there's been political criticism that said it's un-American socialism and garbage history. And there was a whole initiative to debunk it by 
the Trump administration and everything, because it really calls out and is a history book that shows how our country was built by slavery and and its support and uh, mechanisms and societal support of slavery uh, into today. And each chapter talks about a different topic of uh, focus. And one the one that really hit me was seemed like I would fully trust that this would not be influenced by, especially today, and seems to be very influenced by, which is uh, American healthcare. And so American mm-hmm. healthcare has some institutions built in that are are steeped in racism from the middle 1800s to to this day. So we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the Tuskegee um, syphilis tests and and uh, the experiments done. And then uh, there's a couple race-based medical practices that are still um, in the modern uh, school of things. One that was literally updated less than a year ago by the CDC to say, yeah, you're right. That probably has nothing to do with race. Um, and and be- be- before you go on for a second yeah. um, to interject, I just finished reading White Fragility, mm-hmm. which is a amazing book and very, I wanted it to be like, I know all this and I just wanted somebody to say about all those other people. And then you start reading them and you're like, Oh, Oh, this is literally about me yeah. <laughs> and the things I still need to fix. Yeah. But in its opening chapter, it talked about a couple of interesting things. And one of them being that people cannot be racist. Racist is in, is in, on an organizational level. So people hmm. can be discriminatory and people can be prejudiced. Oh, and act or not act on those uh, prejudices, but only institutions can be racist because when they're set up, the rules follow those. Uh, and and that is, and it was kind of a, not a nice thing to hear, but it's, it's a super interesting way to deflate yeah. people who come in all hot with how dare you call me racist. Right. And it's an interesting way. So, well, I'm, I'm not, all right. we're all prejudiced and we can all discriminate right. on any number of things, but only institutions are racist. So don't worry, I will not call you a racist. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so uh, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment is uh, just a shocking thing. I had heard about it before, but I really didn't know the extent and, and the consequences and, and uh, you know, the, the context of it. But um, Talking about syphilis, syphilis is a disease, it's a bacterial infection. Uh, when you are first infected within uh, two to six weeks, you develop a sore, usually on uh, uh, a lip or your genitals, and it's itchless sore and it lasts for several weeks, right? Uh, then the secondary stage is for four to 10 weeks after the contact, you have a rash, uh, most of the time on the, your palms or soles, but it can be in other areas of your body. I've seen pictures. Oh my gosh. Of, do I have syphilis? I don't think you have syphilis. By the way. 
So this is like you're describing everything I've been going through for the last two <laughs> month, month, month and a half, and I'm thinking down to the itchy palms and hand. I hate to ask, but are there more than, tests. more than the obvious way to get syphilis? Um, like, do you outside of sexual contact, yeah. which is kind of what we all think about, is right. there a way to get syphilis? Uh, it it <laughs> is. It's it's a communicable disease. You have to come in contact with that sore. Uh, okay. For the open sore from another uh, syphilis. So the the syphilis rash would only last for about six weeks total. Um, and so if yours has been longer, uh, but, uh, the good oh, thing, you get like full on sores and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, not yeah. just, okay. Yeah. I, I, I just I don't Googled, think you, have, you don't have syphilis. I Googled ways to catch syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I don't have syphilis. And then the tertiary, the third stage of syphilis lasts, uh, it can start from about three years after contact and it can start as many as 15 years after contact. So it can be seemingly dormant for 15 years. And then all of a sudden you start to have either cardiovascular problems with your heart, um, uh, gumatos, uh, gumatos are, uh, uh, or gamatus, are uh, lumps that uh, appear in fleshy material in your body, and uh, and so they're they're bumps and lumps and and bone and fleshy material of your body, and then there's also neurological uh, uh, effects that can happen with your brain and your central nervous system, and uh, ultimately cause you to go crazy and uh, and other neurological uh, issues. So. Part of the uh, medical institution, especially in America, uh, in the 17 and 1800s, surmised that black people have smaller brains than white people, and the uh, there's there's also surmised that they have less lung capacity, and we'll talk about that one uh, in in after we talk about syphilis. But um, lung capacity and uh, less uh, uh, effect by pain, and so they have a higher pain tolerance, and um, and so the brain part was the interesting part to them to need to study the effects of syphilis on black men, and this started in 1932 in in our century and lasted until the 1970s 1972 and it wasn't discovered or or uh found out that this was going on publicly until 1972 and then there was a big expose and um and we'll we'll talk about that but as um Doctors hypothesized that black people would experience more cardiovascular effects than neurological because they believed that the brains were less developed in black people. So what they were going to do is infect black men with syphilis and study the effects of syphilis gone untreated. So when this study began in the 1930s, in 1932, um, penicillin was not the main way to uh, solve things. That wasn't until about 10 years later. 
in mm. in the 1940s penicillin uh was determined to cure syphilis and so you can take a shot of pen- penicillin and it can cure uh syphilis in the 1930s there were other treatments available i don't know what those were it was treatable uh especially the symptoms of it were were treatable uh and it wasn't until the 40s about a decade later and remember that this went on through the 70s but they were uh so what they did is they recruited about 600 males uh black males in 1932 at a time when unemployment rate in the south for black men was about 50 percent so most black men in the south were unemployed and they offered free health care and uh burial insurance if you participated in our study about bad blood and they never um they knew that they were being tested and information was given about their blood, but they were never informed and never consented to being infected by syphilis. And so of the 600 men, 399 were already pre-infected with syphilis before they started the thing. So they found uh, syphilic uh, men to be part of the study, but 201 of them were actively infected by the doctors that uh, were performing these tests. The, the institution, this, this government-led institution, uh, this wasn't a private practice. This was sponsored by the U.S. government. Um, they recruited through local leaders, and they, they did not reveal what the study was about, but they got local clergy, local teachers, local law enforcement to support and, and promote that this was, uh, you know, you can get free health care, you can get uh, life insurance, and uh, go ahead and be a part of this study. Uh, it'll be great. And so 600 men sign up. Um, zero white people were available so or, or, or part of the study it was only black men the if you just take that fact and and what they were studying was trying to surmise the the effect of syphilis on neurological versus cardiovascular in black and white people if you don't have white people as part of the study, then you don't have that information. It doesn't exist. Uh, and so what they claimed was that they used uh, what uh, there was a, uh, in Oslo, Norway, there was a study about 30 years before around the turn of the century where they studied 2000 syphilitic uh, people that were all white uh, and the study concluded that syphilis should not go untreated was was the bottom line of that study. Uh, but instead of uh, learning from that lesson, they said we will uh, perform these tests. On... How about how about and stay with me? <laughs> we leave it untreated. We leave it untreated. <laughs> and 
Uh, and so these 600 men, uh, many of them died. Many of them went blind. Many of them went, uh, had neurological issues and they went crazy. Uh, they passed them to their partners, to their, their spouses and um, their spouses, in turn, had syphilitic children. Uh, and so you can uh, contract syphilis in your utero. Oh, wow. And, and so the children of them also con- contracted syphilis. And the, um, so the, the study went on for 40 years. Good the, grief. the men were never told they were just uh and they were never given any medication you know never given you know it was untreated they were studying the untreatment of syphilis right and so it was uncovered in 1972 the program was stopped they provided medical care to the families uh ultimately and by 1995 they had the uh the president of the united states at the time bill clinton apologized and uh, looked at our dark history and and whatever. So and solved racism and, and solved racism. Uh, and, and so Man, I mean, I so that that's the whole structure. That's the whole story, if you will. Um, we're so let's talk about a couple other things within uh, our healthcare system. Um, G- well, and you might this might be where you're going with um, when all the COVID vaccines started coming out and totally. people were hesitant of it, stuff like that. Totally. That's when I first started hearing from my black uh, friends and acquaintances. Like, there's a like there's a real reason that our our people are are wary of this. Yes. Like you white people are not, and they're like totally. they just literally just would experiment on us, saying it's free healthcare. And yes. So it's like oh, so that is a legitimate reason to not want to be vaccinated by the government. Ab- absolutely, and um, so GFR uh, or estimated GFR is the estimated glomerular uh, filtration rate, which is the estimation of how well your kidneys function and it wasn't until 2020 the national kidney foundation and the uh, american society of nephrology formed a joint task force to review the use of race in the gfr calculations and it wasn't until september 23rd 2021 just six months ago or whatever that the task force announced a new race-free calculation for estimating EGFR. So um, in 20, um, sorry, in the year 2000, the human genome was completely uh, uh, mapped. mapped. And they concluded at the time that 99.9% of our genes are identical across the human race. And that less than one-tenth of one percent has nothing to do with race. And so biologically, we are identical. There is no black people have smaller brains or have thicker skin, which is another thing, or have less capacity for for breathing or or whatever. But they continue to have race-based medical information that that informs these tests and so um 
so GFR had a race-based calculation built into it because they they decided that um, black men or black people have a larger percentage of muscle than white people do. And that would adjust the amount of creatine in their blood and that and there's zero evidence that they provided for this. This was really based in much of the medical uh, information that was given out in the middle 1800s to support and defend slavery. And so there was a man by the name of Dr. Samuel Cartwright, and he was very active uh, as a doctor to show that black people were a different race that were inferior and must be enslaved in order to improve their health. So here's uh, a quote that he uh, that he had. So left to himself, the Negro indulged in idleness and invariably fell victim to unalterable physiological laws. Only in slavery, where the Negro was put to work, was he saved from primitive and barbaric reversion. It is the red vital blood sent to the brain that the that libates his mind when when under the white man's control. And it was the want of sufficient of red vital blood that chains his mind to ignorance and barbarism when in freedom. And so what he concluded was the, uh, and he, he went on to develop a test of the capacity of the lungs and the lung capacity, he surmised, was less in, in black people, and they needed hard labor in order to oh my increase gosh. their lung capacity. And so he was medically laying out a claim of why slavery is so important. And so he developed the tool... Um, can't think of the name of the tool. Uh, it's it's a spirometer. Spirometer is the device that you blow into to determine your lung capacity. And to this day, spirometers have a race selection on the device to calibrate to different races. They have no evidence that there's any difference between this. Race is a social construct, not a biological construct. There's no biological difference between the lungs of a black person and the lungs of a white person. And to this day, there there is a race calibration uh, that yeah. was introduced in the 1850s to support slavery uh, in by our medical system. That is so insane. <laughs> so... Um, and as I'm reading through these, these incidents, I'm like, am I on crazy pills? Like what is going? And so uh, regardless of if there are any individual facts to challenge in the 1619 project, uh, it is an incredible resource to, um, to be judged and and to be read and be judged. I wouldn't subscribe that anybody 
read blindly and and take everything right, uh, right. You know, but but the amount of institutional racism in our nation that has been unchecked and continues to exist today is shocking saddening uh disparaging and and shameful and uh and so part of black history month for me is really exploring this disparity and what i had never thought of as uh issues that exist and uh, and pointing out that holy shit, we really have some work to continue yeah. to do and um, and continue to explore. Wow, yeah, it, like I mentioned it before, but that book, White Fragility, yeah. and I think the subtitle is why it's so hard for white people to talk about race. Yeah, um, is just really eye opening, and it's not like a an accusatory, you know, and you're a terrible person. Right. It just lays out like we're born into this. And yep. unless we do something to actively disengage with that, exactly. we will always be there. Is it our fault? Maybe no, probably not. You know, that doesn't, that's irrelevant. Yeah. We have to make that effort to get out of where we're at. And man, we need to do a whole lot of listening as yeah, exactly. My last 15 years, I really learned, oh, maybe I should listen to the people that I'm accusing <laughs> all sorts of any manner of things, man, a living. Well, thank yeah. you for, for doing that. That is, that is great. And I said, I would leave a little bit of a, a feel good story at the end, just to kind of leave on an up. And that is the Republican candidate for Oregon governor confirms former membership in Portland swingers club. <laughs> Sandy, the mayor so of Sandy, Stan Pulliam, said in a statement to the Oregonian that he and his wife, Mackenzie, briefly ex- explored relationships with other couples beginning in 2016 before deciding to, quote, focus solely on each other, our marriage, and our family. I bet you anything in 2016 is when he ran for office. <laughs> he suddenly decided that they want to focus on each other, our marriage, and our family. Ever, ever since, day in and day out, we've worked as a team to strengthen our family and create a better community, blah, 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 he said. Uh, this disclosure could prove to be a headwind for Pulliam, 40, whose campaign has contrasted the small-town virtues of rural Clackamas with the supposed squalor of Portland. In an interview with Willamette Week, Uh, which first reported about the couple's involvement in the Swingers Club. He acknowledged the existence of screenshots from the group circulating online, but said annotations claiming he was bisexual and yet publicly aligned with anti-LGBTQ groups were false. He so far he's raised about a million dollars for race for governor, and he is the number two contender for the GOP nomination. He has no plans to drop out of the race. So you go, Stan. And just, you know what? Stop distancing yourself from it. You Tell are an adult, it. Stan Pulliam. You and your wife, Mackenzie, you get out there at that key party. You throw the keys to your Prius in there. That's awesome. And have a good, have a good time, Stan. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Mark, for taking the time to join me today and educating me a little bit further and speaking, giving me a lift in these in these difficult times, just in general. I always appreciate our podcast time together. I meant for after show 200 to change our intro theme song, and I have yet to do that. No shame here. That'll be a guarantee for never when I do that. So. (laughs) 
thank all of you for listening uh, and standing by the show and being a part of it. We enjoy hearing from you guys to um, listen to Fun Employment Radio, who do a show every single day. Um, there might be a, I, I have not hit him up for that, but there uh, might be a Portland at the Movies uh, Aaron Duran Geek in the City podcast oh, nice. uh, crossover event at the end of the month, although I have yet to mention it to him. So <laughs> that may be something that's happening, will it? You'll just have to tune in to find out. So what should we take us out with? You have you have any idea what what in the world to go out with on a show like this? Um uh I I've got a <laughs> no. I've got a okay. video. Uh there's there's a um uh a doctor who um she she was a uh she was a doctor. Oh, not Doctor Who. No, not Doctor Who. Okay. Uh, she was a doctor that um, died of COVID. Uh, she's black, and she was um, treated uh, very differently than her white colleagues were as a COVID patient uh, because they said, well, you're probably going to get addicted to yeah, the opiates, and so we're not going to give you any oh pain gosh. medications and uh had a higher tolerance for pain so you don't need it and uh and so she died uh and so there's (laughs) some some videos of her uh talking about her experience if you want to go out with that video (laughs) you know what i'm gonna go out with hold on here open back up my window all right are we ready yeah Republican candidate for Oregon Governor Stan Pulliam confirms former membership in Portland Swingers Group. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.